0: You're listening to the Rural Advancement Podcast. Rural Advancement provides resources to empower, equip, and encourage rural pastors and churches. Join our community by visiting us at ruraladvancement.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Rural Advancement. This is the podcast that is by rural leaders and for rural leaders. It is our goal every single week, week in and week out, to bring you content that is not just spoken to the rural church, but is spoken by people who get it, people who have lived, worked, and ministered in small, out-of-the-way places, and people who know the immense value of the work that God does there. I am your host, Joe Epley, and I am excited this week to dive into the story of Pastor Josh Lawrence, uh, who hails from a small town of Azle, Texas. I uh, recently became aware of his church and his ministry through an article that the Assemblies of God published, kind of sharing this awesome story of church turnaround, and I'm going to let him tell that. And kind of help us pull in some lessons from his adventures and his story. Uh, But the first thing I want to say is, Pastor Josh, how are you doing, sir?
1: Man, I am doing well. Uh, Thank you for the invitation to be on your podcast. I'm really looking forward to uh, diving in and just sharing my story with you and your listeners.
0: Yeah, and we love that. You know, we love that uh, every church really does have this story, and every ministry is full of people, right, who are are loving the Lord in their own way. And so, I'm excited to. Uh, dive into that. So describe your background in ministry for us. Just kind of help us get to know you and specifically highlight uh, your connection to the
1: rural church. Absolutely. Well, uh, I have spent my entire life in church. Uh, grew up in a small rural Pentecostal church in Northeast Texas, got my first experience in ministry there, played the drums on Sunday morning for the, uh, for the worship team, you know, was very involved in the youth ministry there. And then in my later teen years, uh, went to a larger non-denominational church that was still rural, but was much larger than the church i had grown up in. And there I really got to uh, be involved in different ministry settings uh, as a leader uh, in youth ministry, children's ministry, uh, eventually went into full-time ministry myself as a youth pastor in the Houston area. I spent the first nine years of my ministry in youth ministry in Houston. And then we moved to a little town north of Beaumont called Evadale. Did youth ministry there for a little while. Uh, Then moved into senior pastor ministry uh, at an Assembly of God church in the panhandle of Texas in the big city of Clarendon. And when I say big city, it's not big at all. Yeah, uh, we sure. were about, we were about 60 miles away from the nearest Walmart and yeah, uh, the classic marker of rural ministry
0: is like where's the mileage to the nearest Walmart it's very yes. yeah very iconic
1: <laughs> yes you know I'd I'd laugh because I I'd, I'd, I'd see these other guys that I'm friends with on Facebook and they would talk about rural ministry and being involved in rural ministry and then, you know, they're posting about being at their local Starbucks and, you know, their local Starbucks is like five minutes away from where they live. And I'm like, listen, if you've got a yeah. Starbucks close to your church, you're not rural. Uh, yeah, I was like, yeah. I have to drive an hour, just go to Walmart and so, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah. Um, But yeah, I was in Clarendon for about a year, uh, went back into youth ministry for two and a half more years uh, in Bossier City, Louisiana. Uh, before coming to Azel in October of 22. And, and to be fair, Azel is rural. It's not as rural as Clarendon uh, because we are close to Fort Worth. Uh, we're about 17 miles from Fort Worth. And, of course, uh, Dallas-Fort and- Fort Worth and-
0: keeps inching, inching, inching out. Yeah. You know?
1: Yes, absolutely. And so there, there's still the the rural feel here. Um, but I suspect in probably the next 10 years that will change uh, significantly. Sure. Um, but you know, uh, the way the people in my church think and, and the way they operate still is very much from a rural mindset. Uh, just because they've been in this area for years, you know, they were the hazel they know is a very rural, disconnected from the rest of the Metroplex area. But that is slowly changing. Uh, much to their grief, uh, they bemoan how much Fort Worth is is inching on Azle. <laughs>
0: sure, sure. I, I believe that. You know, I I know the the struggles a lot of us share when a when a chain does try to move to town or or you know something something commercial just comes in and it can it can really just rough everybody up. But. Uh, oh, yeah. So I want you to help us paint a picture of Azel, because obviously the story of the church in Azel, even as we draw from, you know, uh, your life experience, but just the story of Azel specifically is kind of our topic today. And um, I know when you got there, you mentioned that the church was in a place of despondency, to borrow your word for it. kind of couldn't see a way forward. You're looking at congregation members who just couldn't seem to see that gospel future uh, for their church. And so maybe paint us a picture of what that meant. You know, what kind of things were they saying? What were they feeling? Uh, And then, you know, to help our listeners who are predominantly rural leaders, what are some of the immediate things you did as a leader to help break through that mentality? So paint us that picture and then tell us, you know, how God used you to carve a way forward.
1: Yeah, so I, I came across... Uh, Azel First Assembly when uh, I began to feel the Lord leading me out of youth ministry back into lead pastor ministry and uh, came across it on the open church list on the North Texas uh, District website. I reached out to him and the interim pastor uh, who was appointed by the sectional presbyter uh, was the one who I made contact with. And he told me a little bit bit about the church, a little bit about Azel Uh, And he was very open and upfront uh, that the church had struggles and that if I came here, I would need to be bivocational. Now, I was in full time at a pretty large church in Bossier City, uh, had great benefits. My wife was also on staff. And so we were going to go from practically two full time positions. My wife was part time, but practically she was full time. So we're going to go from two full time positions to a bivocational position. And, you know, at first I was thinking, man, do I really want to do that? But I really felt the Lord leading us in this direction. So, you know, I had to get past what I saw in the natural and and begin to believe that God could do supernatural things if we're obedient to him. And so we came, we we decided to go ahead and try out for the church, came uh, October 8th for a meeting greet. Uh, with the church people. And when I came here, oh my goodness, it was, the people were not encouraged. They really didn't have hope for the future of the church. There were a lot of excuses given as to why the church could not grow uh, everything from the location of the church to, uh, you know, we're viewed as a grandparent church. Nobody wants to go to this church because it's nothing but old people, Uh, you know, and I mean, they were just, like we're 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 done we're done you know sure, sure. Uh, if something and they knew if something did not change that the church in a year or two probably wouldn't even be open sure and one of the complaints that was that was really uh shared with me was that 199 which is the highway that runs in front of the church was upgraded to freeway uh it oh, has just sure. been a regular state highway and uh, in the past, you know, you could turn into the church parking lot directly from the highway, go in either direction. Well, when it got upgraded to freeway status, that changed. You know, now you have to exit and you have to loop around. And, and you know, I'm thinking this is a great location because we're right off the freeway. Uh, but for them, the older people who remember it just being a normal state highway, uh, with two lanes and then eventually four lanes and they remember being able to turn in directly off the the highway onto the church property uh for them it was a terrible thing because nobody wants to go through the house sort of looping around and uh, I you know I remember just encouraging them and telling them you know we're right off the freeway we are on a hill you know especially when you're coming uh, into azel from Fort Worth, the first one of the first things you see is our church. and oh, you know, cool. we have this huge building, this huge steeple on top of the building. We're on a hill and your people are coming in from Fort Worth and and they're seeing the church. and the thing about Azle is you know a lot of people are moving into town and a lot of people are moving in from Fort Worth. They're you know they're trying to get away from the urban reach and and trying to get uh, to an area that's a little bit more secluded for now anyway. And, um, and, you know, and, and they just, I'm like, we have a great opportunity here. And a lot of those, uh, you know, those older people, they, they couldn't see it. They couldn't see it. And so one of the things that I did first, uh, my first sermon I preached here, uh, I preached out of Revelation chapter three, and I talked about the church in Philadelphia. And, you know, Jesus tells them that he has set before them an open door. And I focused on that open door, and I said, "The church here in Azo, I'm, you know, someone, some great, you know, seminarian, someone who knows all the hermeneutical, you know, principles of revelation, yeah, sure.
0: gobbledygook as we call it, yeah.
1: Right? They, <laughs> they may be, uh, they may be raging right now, listening to me sure, say this because sure. they're like, that's not contextually correct, but it is what the church needed to hear at that time. Sure. Um, you know, and and uh, so you know, I preached about open door. And I, I said, you know, our church has an open door here. We have an open door to ministry. I said, we're small, like the the church in Philadelphia. We don't have much to our name. We don't have resources. We don't, you know, you know, we don't have a lot of what the bigger churches have. But what we do have is an open door. And it's up to us to be faithful and walking through the doors that Christ opens up for us. And I believe that sermon was a turning point for many of those people because a lot of them came to me afterwards and they said, you know what, we want to be faithful and walk mm. through the doors that Christ has opened for us.
0: Wow. Yeah. And honestly, uh, I've heard authors describe leadership as the art of seeing beyond, you know, yeah. and I, I know that uh, sometimes the difference between effective rural ministry and ineffective rural ministry is your willingness to see opportunity where others see uh, a lack thereof. And so I love just a reiteration of those principles. Um, I do want to focus on another thing, and this is, um, you know, kind of a kind of part of the cool story, and I'm sure we'll weave it in there over the next couple of questions. But uh, but when you got there. You know, I mean, there was there was this this crushing debt, if you will. There was missions, you know, debts outstanding. There was debt on the building in terms of bills and all these things. But when you got there, you prioritized missions commitments, which hadn't been paid, you know, the 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 you know, money we pay to missionaries, um, even at the perceived expense of other financial issues. What beliefs led you to focus there and prioritize that first?
1: Yeah. So I'll speak a little bit to the debts and I'll get to the mission. Sure. So Uh, You know, when I came in, there was roughly $30,000, something like that on a credit card. Um, And then, you know, we had the missions commitments that had been made to missionaries from our church totaling at about $15,000 that needed to be paid. Uh, And there was some talk in board meetings of, you know, do we go ahead and fulfill these commitments? Uh, Do we just go ahead and say, hey, it's a wash. We can't do it and uh really even before i came the board had already decided they were going to uh fulfill those missions commitments that had already been Mm. made by the church that they could not afford you know because there was that talk can we afford to do it but they really came to the realization that they couldn't afford to not do it Mm. and so they had already made that commitment to fulfill their their missions giving uh when i came in i took that a step further i said listen let's not just fulfill this missions commitment but let's totally rethink how we approach finances in our church i said so many churches have the mindset of we're going to invest in things more so than in people and i don't think they do this intentionally it just just, yeah no one has a bad heart yep right no one does and and so you know you 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 get a surplus of money and you're thinking, okay, how can I improve the facilities? You know, how can I improve our sanctuary? And those aren't bad things, but sometimes we do that at the expense of people. Um, you know, I was here in the uh, DFW Metroplex, there's a large Baptist church that puts on this big Christmas production every year, and they spend millions of dollars to do it. And and again, I'm, I am not saying that spending money to put on productions is a bad thing. That's not what I'm right. saying but there are a lot of questions that are raised about that by people in the community you know is that is that waste is it wasteful to spend so much money on one production that is done yearly when that money may could be used to help other people. Fair. And that's which a has fair been, question. Which
0: has been a lot of, yeah, a lot of the kickback. We gotta be aware that even as we're making these decisions that there is community perception yeah. and there's those things. And so, and it does bring reflection to our hearts to say, hey, what are we doing? What's the reasoning? You know, all that stuff.
1: Yes, and and so I, I, I spoke to my board, I said, not that we shouldn't invest in our properties and not sh- that we shouldn't invest in our facilities, but we shouldn't do it at the expense of people. And maybe if we have a people first approach to our finances and to the ways we do ministry, God will take care of the other things. And so that's really what we started to do. We started, we paid back those missions commitments that have been made. Uh, as we made the commitment to do that, I'm telling you, God just opened up the windows of heaven, if you will, and really started sending people to our church who could invest financially where we needed it. And so, you know, we had our giving just increased exponentially. And in three months, I'd put forward a five-year plan to pay off all debt and to pay back the mission's commitment. And in three months, that plan had been fulfilled. Uh, And God did that. I mean, the debt was paid, the mission's commitment was caught up, uh, and we had been able to build a buffer of three months operational expenses in our savings. And so that put the church in a place to be financially secure. And it had not been financially secure in five to 10 years. Um, you know, I I went back through old board meeting minutes and business meeting minutes and the church would be 30 to 60 days behind on insurance payments, 30 to 60 days behind on water bill payments. Um, and our water bill here is pretty high uh, because we have some kind of drain runoff uh, in our parking lot and it causes our, water bill sometimes be higher than our electric bill uh we pay well, average, you know 350 a month and water <laughs> <sure>. <laughs> it's uh it's sickening to me but you know it's just what we have to do but um seeing how bad they were you know financially how bad off they were financially um i also saw that at times when they did have a surplus of money that money went toward things um, right. and not necessarily They weren't bad things, but they weren't necessarily things that the church even really needed. Um, They were just things that were viewed as beneficial, maybe to help the church grow. But I I think it was putting hope in, you know, if we have lights or if we have, you know, you know, good sound equipment that it'll draw a crowd, but it never did draw a crowd. You know, and and actually what it did is it caused questions from among the members. You know, if we're not able to pay our bills, why are we buying these things? Sure. And so my biggest thing was, let's put people first in our finances. Let's invest not only in missions, we should invest in missions, but let's look how we can, you know, reach out to the community uh, through giving back to the community.
0: Well, that's definitely my my next question is, uh, you know, obviously whirlwind of a story, God shows up. Um, I think it's it's the classic, you know, we thought we needed one thing, but we put our eyes on the Lord. You know, we said, hey, we're going to be missions first, people first. And I love that language, people first, focused giving. And so now that you're in a solvent place, you know, the churches have savings, it's caught up, it's doing the work of the Lord. It's super exciting. Um, how have you used finances? Can you highlight some of the ways that that you know, this solvency, this place of strength has now been used to bless your community?
1: Yes, absolutely. So we have uh, an ad- administrative assistant. This was the first thing that I wanted to do. This administrative assistant in our church who really, um, she helps me out tremendously. I'm bivocational. You know, I teach at a middle school. And so uh, she takes care of a lot of the day-to-day stuff for me, things that I cannot do because, you know, I'm working 50 to 60 hours Her, a week as yeah. a school teacher but she was doing it completely volunteer and the lady before her had also done it as a volunteer. And she had done it as a volunteer for four years. um, Just really sacrificing their time because they would come up to the church uh, a couple of times a week, anywhere from 10 to 15 hours a week, just making sure things were done, like printing bulletins, making sure phone calls were returned. um, Bills were paid, things like that. Uh, And so, you know, I was like, you know, if she's giving that much of her time and we're thankful and she never asked for anything, she never asked for pay. She knew it was volunteering when she took it. Uh, I was like, but if she's willing to sacrifice that time, I want her to be compensated for it. And so one of the first things we were able to do was we were able to extend a small salary to her uh, and as a gift of appreciation for her efforts. Uh, Another thing that we started doing is, you know, we have other volunteers. We've got volunteer pastoral staff Um, we've got volunteer office staff we've got some office staff that do receive pay but it's not very much Um, and so as we had a surplus of giving one of the things that I really wanted to do was to honor those people who've sacrificed so much so with some of them it was giving raises some of them you know it was giving checks of appreciation just saying hey This is for you, and we want you to know we appreciate you this Christmas. We gave everybody a Christmas bonus, both volunteer uh, staff and then those who are paid, just to show that hey, you know, we appreciate the sacrifice that you make to our church because without Mm you, you know, we wouldn't have a church. And, And so, you know, just wanting to make sure these people know, hey, we appreciate you and we value you. Another thing that we've done is we've localed with uh, we've partnered with the local uh pregnancy help center here in Azel. You know, they have a lot of young girls that come in, some teenage pregnancies, uh being close to the Metroplex area, they do see some sure, sure. trafficking. And you know, they really they really do a good work there. And one of the things that we like most about them is that every girl that walks through their door seeking assistance uh, is presented with the gospel. Uh, I love that. They, they they are big about presenting every one of them with the gospel. They they preach to them. And so I love that. And, uh, you know, when Roe versus Wade was overturned, the state of Texas offered $100 million in taxpayer money to pro-life pregnancy centers, and this center did not take any of it. They were offered mm. the money, but they didn't take it because of the governmental strings that were attached to it, and True. they knew that it would hinder their ability to preach the gospel if they took it, and so they mm. they refused the money uh, because they said, we don't want to be hindered. We don't want to be bound by taking money you know, to not being able to preach the gospel, and so uh, one of the things that we were able to do this year for them, we've we've put together care packages for mothers, uh, but we were able to give that pregnancy center a check for five thousand dollars. Nice. Just a few weeks ago. That would have never happened last year. We would have never been able to give them five thousand uh, dollars. I mean, the church, the church really was before I came. And it's not because I came. Right. You know, and I assist the people in my church. I was obedient to God's call. God could have used anyone. Yeah. It was not yeah. God who's done it, but you know, they were on the brink of shutting the doors. There yeah. was were real conversations of, Can we even afford to stay open anymore? Yeah. And, um, and so um, you know, God has really just done a, a miraculous work in this last year and to be able to write a check to, to this pregnancy help center for $5,000. Uh, and not even have to be concerned of where we're going you to find to that. Not even really miss it. Yeah, exactly. Not, not, we're not <laughs> missing it. Uh, it's just, it's been, it's been tremendous. It's a tremendous blessing to be able to bless other people. Yeah. And the board has caught that vision of people first. Yeah. And it's how can we bless other people? And it's just Man. been it's been wonderful.
0: Man, I love that. That people first giving is really going to stick with me. It's a huge, huge thing. Uh, Well, at the end of this podcast here, as we kind of wind down, I want to ask you a couple of questions that are just more diving into uh, some of your personal story. Uh, So obviously one of the ways that, um, you know, the church has been able to remain financially unburdened is that you've been by vocation this whole time, Mm -hmm. uh, which of course does save the church money. Um, And I, and I love asking this question because I want you to maybe let our let our listeners into some of that, that struggle, that back and forth. Do you think that you will stay by bi vocational going forward, do you think there'll ever be a point where you switch and like maybe just quickly walk us through the the blessings of like well here's here's why I would stay by vocational because I think people wrestle with that a lot of like you know there's people who were full time who did choose to go by vocational because they felt it you know helped in this area or there was people who are by vocational who might have the opportunity to say well should I take that leap and so walk us through your own kind of back and forth on that you know
1: yeah so. You know, being bivocational is a sacrifice, but it doesn't make you less than. I think some ministers, you know, begin to feel and believe that, you know, not dedicating their entire time to a ministry full-time makes them somehow less than others who can. And sure. it doesn't It doesn't make you less than. You're, you know, if you're a pastor, you're just as much a pastor as a bivocational minister or as a full-time minister is. Uh, and so, um, you know, uh, getting rid of that less than mentality is going to be important. Um, being bivocational vocational opens doors to ministry that you otherwise wouldn't have being full time. And I've seen that in the school, uh, that I work, with, that I'm, that I teach at. Um, I've had other teachers come to me asking for prayer for different things they're going through because they know I'm a pastor and, yes. uh, so it's so neat because I don't I don't let them get away with oh well I'll pray for you and then they walk away you know and you know yeah the, the classic like I'll pray for you pray later for yeah sounds good Not exactly yeah. Uh I'm like hey let me pray for you right now uh, one one English teacher had come to me requesting prayer and it was it was such a powerful moment uh, she just honest she was like this year's been hard and I'm broken and it has been a hard year um, and you know she's she's been in teaching for 25 years. Uh, and she's coming to me broken and saying, you know, this has been a very challenging year for me. It's been hard. This is the hardest year I've had. And I mean, we're out in the middle of the hallway. There are students coming to class and I said, I'll pray for you, but I'm gonna pray for you right now. And I mean, I was able to pray for her even as students were passing by. And it was Mm -hmm. just, it was awesome to be able to do that. And you know, those are things I would never be able to do, uh, in full-time ministry. Um, I think it's easier for someone who leaves a full time position to take a new bi vocational position to go by vocational, than it is for somebody who is moving from full time to bivocational without changing positions. Some churches, when a pastor takes the church, they were financially able to pay them full time and because of the times we're living in, you know, living post yeah, finances
0: might rise up or something changes. Yes.
1: Yeah. Yes. It's You know, there are a lot of pastors, and I see it on Facebook in in the different groups that I'm in, these different pastors wrestling with, you know, I may need to go by vocational to help my church out. And, um, you know, I would just encourage them if you're in that place and you're having those thoughts, it's probably time. And, you know, you can be a blessing to your community by being in the community, by, you know, whether you're teaching at a school or you're a mechanic or you're, you're working, as has the door greeter at Walmart, you know, whatever you, yeah. you know, whatever the Lord, you know, puts in your hand to do, you can be a, a blessing in your community in a way that you really could not have been, uh, being both full time because you're mostly just sitting in a church office all day long. And then it would also be a blessing to your church because then it frees up those finances for you to be able to maybe divert into other ways to maybe getting the church back onto good financial footing. Honestly, you know, for the time being, I don't foresee myself going full-time at the church. Uh, I, I see myself remaining bivocational, and here's why. I have seen where, you know, we have the resources now. We have the finances where I could sure. go yeah. full-time, but then it would, it would limit, again, what we could do out in the community, mm. and I don't want to sacrifice that. If it ever gets to a point where it could make sense to where I could be full-time and we could still do what we're doing right. and not be hindered. In doing what we're doing, then yes, I, I'm not considered going full time. Uh, At this point, I could go full time, but it would hinder what we're doing. And I don't want to hinder that Uh, because sure. I see what God's doing through it. And, and the sacrifice of being vocational is worth it. It's absolutely yeah. worth it.
0: Man, I love that. And I love, uh, it's one thing to say, I love this people first giving and I'm committed to it. Uh, but what you just said is my life backs this up, and I just think that just empowers uh, just kind of how God has used you and how the church has been used uh, even more. Uh, well, this last question is uh, more of a personal question. I just love I love talking to leaders. It's one of my favorite things. Uh, but I know you're a reader. When I asked you about books that have impacted you, uh, you mentioned the book uh, When Revival Tarries by Leonard Ravenhill, and it's not a book that I actually see at the top of people's list very often. Um, it's one of my favorites also, but I just wanted to, um, you know, let our pastors in on that book a little bit. How has that book encouraged you in ministry? And just, if you had one thing that you could pass on, that was kind of encouragement from it, uh, you know, yeah. So give us that brief snapshot of, Hey, wh- yeah. what's something in this book that jumped out and, and how it could it encourage people?
1: Leonard Ravenhill has a way with words. Uh, yeah, that's, that's for he, sure. <laughs> he's very quotable. Uh, that's for sure. The book in its entirety is about prayer. Mm. And he's talking about revival and the fact that revival tarries because people in the church do not pray. Mm. And you know, we get fixated sometimes in the church world on programs. Uh, you know, we have to have role rangers, impact girls, we have to have youth, we have to have a thriving men's yep. and women ministry. And and those it, are
0: seen as marks of good health or good stewardship, yeah. and, and as and rightfully so in a lot of ways. Ah. Yeah, for sure. We want those things to
1: happen, but you know. Yes. But the thing is, sometimes they come at the expense of prayer. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you're in a small church or a rural church, you don't have the resources to do all of that. You don't. <laughs> uh, for sure. You know, we have our children's ministry. We have a wonderful lady who volunteers in doing it. And one of the things that my wife and I are passionate about is not burning people out. We will yeah. not burn while i have i have told people i'm like if you need to rest you let me know and we will make sure you get rest and we won't guilt you for it and we won't take anything away from you for it Um, we were you know we tell our people we're so thankful that you're here and that you're serving and that you're volunteering we don't want you to burn out Uh, one of the first things i told uh our congregation is that if i use you you're going to end up hurt Mm. but if god uses you you'll end up fulfilled Oh, and I love we want that. God to use you. We don't want to use you. We want God to use you, and um, and so we never want you to feel used by us. And so uh, we have a, a lady who volunteers. She does, she does children's church. She does it on the first and third Sundays. That way she can be in service on the second and fourth Sundays. And we don't have anyone to do children's church on the second and fourth Sundays. And you know what? That's okay. That is. Okay.
0: Yeah. And
1: and so you know, I think a lot of churches struggle because they try to keep up with this idea that we have to have all of these programs and we have to have all of these events or people won't come. And and really we need to take our focus off the programs and put it more on prayer. Uh, God will move way more in our prayers than he will in our programs. And, and so I think, you know, that book really helps me to focus on what's really important. And that's that place of prayer, not so much on having programs. There's nothing wrong with having programs. And if your church can do it, great. But you know, as you know, in small and rural churches, that's not always the case. Yeah, there's
0: no guarantee, and it can be one person. You know what I'm saying? Like you had this thriving whatever, and then one person moves,
1: and it's like, okay, we no longer
0: have enough people to do that. (laughs) Yes, yes, and
1: and and just you know, I mentioned the big that the big church that does the big production. Sure, Uh, sure. And I'm not I'm not mentioning them to to yeah. We uplift one, but not at the expense of another. Yep. Yes, you know. But I, I think back to that church I grew up in, that small Church of God uh, church that had 30 people. All of them were old. I was the youngest person there. My dad was the second youngest. And uh, and <laughs> I remember our little nativity scenes that we would do for Christmas every year. It was very simple. And then we, you know, at the end of that Christmas service, we would all be given a brown paper bag with fruit, nuts, and uh, different varieties of candies in them, and I always looked forward to that. It was so simple, but yet I look back on that, and that has had such a profound, and, uh, mm. profound impact on my life that you know I wouldn't trade that for anything. I wouldn't trade that for the biggest productions. Nothing wrong with big productions, and yeah. I know people are impacted by those too. Uh, but I wouldn't trade it. And uh, sometimes I think the church uh, scoffs at simple, and and the sure. church scoffs at small not not remembering that when Jesus came he he came you know in the simple and he came yeah. in and so man
0: that's so encouraging well pastor josh i have to say this has been a delightful interview i really enjoyed just hearing your perspective and what god has been doing so thank you for being on the podcast
1: today thank you for the invitation i have really enjoyed this
0: well we're glad to hear it Well, hey, from all of us at Rural Advancement, once again, uh, we hope that you've been encouraged and challenged. Again, it is our goal every week to bring you content that is not just spoken to you, but spoken by people who get it. Um, We want you to walk away from this just ready to tackle rural ministry, ready to know that God sees you and that he is with you. Um, Once again, in the most rural of fashions, you could jump on uh, Apple Podcasts or Spotify and give us a review and a rating, and I hope you do. Uh, but truthfully, just find somebody who needs to hear this conversation, a fellow rural pastor, a fellow small church practitioner, and pass on the link to him. Say, hey, I got a set of conversations you got to hear. Uh, but for the time being, I have been your host, Joe Epley. He has been Pastor Josh Lawrence, and we will see you next week.